So I get the great privilege of introducing the book of the Bible that we're going to get to study together as a church for the next several months. This book has a lot of really powerful truth in it, and it answers a lot of really relevant questions that we all have. Questions like, what should we pray for when we pray? Why is the church a big deal? How can we be unified with people who are not like us? What is God's plan for marriage? How should we parent? How should we see our vocation? And how do we fight spiritual warfare? The book that we're going to be walking through, passage by passage, is the book of Ephesians. And when I say we're walking through it passion, uh, passage by passage, what I'm talking about is expository preaching. So expository preaching just means that as a church, as we preach the word and we hear it, we're just going to be trying to draw out what's already there in the text. We're just trying to see what God has written and how it applies to us. In expository preaching, the main point of the passage in the Bible is the main point of the message for us. The other way to preach is called topical. It's when you choose a topic that you want to preach on, like faith or money or family, and you look through the Bible to find all the different things that it says about that topic. And both of them are valuable. Both of them are good. But they're different. And there's a particular advantage to expository preaching. When you walk through a passage, when you walk through a book passage by passage, the preacher no longer sets the agenda. God does. So it's no longer up to me to come up with what I want to talk about. We're just going to look in the book and see what God wants us to talk about, and we're going to hear what he wants us to say. Because when we do topical preaching, what happens is oftentimes preachers will gravitate towards what they find the most comfortable speaking about or what they've talked about the most, and they'll end up neglecting the things that they're not quite as comfortable talking about. But what happens when you walk through a book and just go verse after verse God's truth confronts us. Even things that we don't want to hear or we might shy away from, we get to listen to what he says. And so it's not easy to do this kind of thing. Because some of the passages in this book are hard. And they confront our hearts. But that's good because when we're confronted, then we can be changed into being more like Jesus. So that's the reason we want to go through this book together, is because we want to become more like Jesus together. So, when we preach here, our pattern will mostly be expository sermons with the occasional topical sermons. And what we're also going to do is we're going to preach books from every section of the Bible. Not just one section of the Bible, because it's so easy to, to pick the part of the Bible that you feel the most comfortable in and hang out there. But God wrote an Old Testament. He wrote a New Testament. He wrote stories, he wrote po poems, he wrote songs, he wrote letters. And what we want to do is over the course of years is to hear the whole counsel of God. What are all the things that he said for us to make us rich in him? So why the, why the letter to the Ephesians? That's what it really is. It's a letter that a person named Paul wrote once. Why are we going to start here? The reason that we're going to start here is because there's so much theological truth that's packed into just six short chapters. There is an immense amount 
of truth and beauty that we really believe is going to transform our lives. The book of Ephesians also has two really important themes. It talks about the gospel, and it talks about the church. It talks about the good news that Jesus has saved us, and it talks about the new community that he creates of people that he saved. And if we're, if we're really going to accomplish our mission statement together, to follow Jesus in everyday life, and to help other people follow Jesus, especially those who are far from God, and we're going to do that as a community, we've got to understand the gospel. And we've got to understand the new family that he makes us into. If we're going to do it together as a family, if we, if we don't get these things, I just don't understand how we can accomplish our mission. And so Ephesians is going to be so good at helping us to become exactly what we're hoping we're going to be, which we're not yet. We, we've set a bold mission. And we can't just become that overnight. But we have a book here that we can walk through to help us become what we're hoping to. So I'm going to give a short overview and summary of the book of Ephesians. And after this mini-sermon, this is a mini-sermon, there's going to be six, six members from here in the room who are going to come up here, and we're going to read through the book of Ephesians chapter by chapter. And actually, that's how the original people who received this letter would have heard it. So we're going to hear it just like they heard it. And you can actually think of this sermon as like a movie teaser trailer. It's like a trailer for the sermon series that we're going to preach over the next several months. And so the idea is that we would get excited and we would get hungry for the truths that God has for us. And so we'd show up to church every week eager to hear what's next in this book. What else does God have to say to me? So now there's just three quick questions I want to answer about the book. Um, the first one I want to answer is, who is the author? Now that's an interesting question to ask because when we think of the Bible, we often think that God is the author of the Bible, right? But, but God actually used instruments to write, human instruments, human people to write the Bible. And Paul is one of the people that God used. And so when Paul wrote this letter, it was really him using his personality, using his understanding, using his talent to write this letter that he really wanted to write. But what we believe is that the Holy Spirit was upon him so that everything he said was correct and everything he said was exactly what God wanted the believers to hear in Ephesus and what he wants us to hear for today. Things that will really actually help us today. So Paul, he was an apostle. An apostle are the group of people that the risen Lord Jesus personally gave the mission to, to build his church and to spread the good news about Jesus Christ. And Paul, he went from city to city in the Roman Empire as a church planter. That was his job. He went from city to city, and he started these brand new churches in people groups who have never even known who Jesus Christ is before, and he would build churches. And, and oftentimes, a couple years after he built the, built the church, he would write a letter back to the church to correct, to instruct, and to encourage them. And that's exactly the case we have here. And I think it's really ironic that Paul had the job of a church planter. Because before he was a church planter, 
before he even met Jesus, he was actually anti-Christian. He hated Christians. And he was a leader who went around arresting and imprisoning Christians. That's what he did. And one time, he even stood by and let a Christian get killed in an execution, and he approved of it. And this is the kind of man that God changed and commissioned to go and plant churches. So as we read this letter, what we know is that Paul is a man who absolutely understands grace. He understands it because he knows that him maybe less than anyone else deserved to have the job of planting churches, and God called him to do that. And, and as we read through this letter, we get such an understanding of the grace and the gifts that God gave us and such a good understanding of grace. And it makes sense because of who Paul was. So second question, who is Paul writing to? So Paul wrote this letter to the Roman city, to believers in the Roman city of Ephesus. That's why it's called the letter to the Ephesians. I know that's a big word, but it just means people who live in Ephesus. So there was a church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a city in what's modern-day Turkey. And it was actually the biggest city in the Roman Empire in Asia. So it was a center for religion. It was a center for commerce. And there was a ton of people. It was a metropolitan area, somewhat like maybe like the area we're living just a long time ago, a very centralized urban environment that he wrote this letter to. And Acts 19 actually tells a story of Paul coming to Ephesus. When he arrives there, he finds some believers there who are really, really immature. They, they don't really understand Christianity. They don't understand what they're doing. And Paul invests the next two years of his life raising and training up these believers to be mature and to understand what they're doing and to establish his church. And if we know anything about the Apostle Paul's life, we know that two years was a really long time for him to spend anywhere. So this is really significant. And as one author puts it, he wrote this letter to the believers in Ephesus to instruct and encourage them. And when he wrote it, he was in prison for his Christian faith. So the, the person who used to lock up people in prison for being Christians was now himself in, in prison for being a Christian. And from this position of suffering and hardship and loneliness, he's writing this letter. And he's putting in truth that I'm sure is encouraging his own heart and is meant to encourage people's hearts who are in tough situations too. So what does Paul write in this letter is the third question I want to ask. What, well, what, is, what does he write about? What, what, what would he write about? And Sam and I actually put our heads together and we tried to come up with a sentence to capture what the book of Ephesians is about. And this is a sentence we have. God graciously created a new people in Christ and calls the church to become what they already are. God graciously created a new people in Christ and calls the church to become what they already are. And if you don't understand exactly what that sentence means, that's okay. We have the next six months to figure it out together. And, and what he does in this letter is he writes two sections. So there's chapters 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. And in the first half of the letter, chapters 1 through 3, he talks about our new position in Christ. 
our new position in Christ. And by new position with Christ, I mean our new relationship with Christ. So position means relationship. So when Jesus came to earth in his life, death, and resurrection, he suffered and died to create a brand new relationship with people. That's what he did. So he paid the ultimate price so that we could have the ultimate relationship with him. And, and this, this new relationship that he gives us, it only makes sense if we consider the old relationship that we had before we met him. So what Paul writes to the Ephesians is that, is that they were spiritually dead. He, he doesn't write that, oh, they were just good people who sometimes did good things and sometimes did bad things. He actually wrote that they were spiritually dead. And what he means by that is that even, even though they might have done good things to one another and maybe some bad things to one another, at the end of the day, in their hearts, there was a fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem was that no matter how good they were to their people around them, they didn't love God. That's what a dead heart is. A dead heart neglects God. A dead heart sometimes is hostile to God. A dead heart doesn't think about God. It just doesn't feel like God is very important. And and that's the old position that we're in when we're spiritually dead. And that's the sin that actually separates every single human being from God. But God sent his son Jesus into the world to rescue his people. That's what Paul talks about. So he says Jesus came on a rescue mission from God to save people who were spiritually dead. And, and what's so amazing about that is that this new relationship that he creates, we don't earn it. You, you, there's nothing you can do to get this relationship. You can try your best. You can obey his commandments. But at the end of the day, it's a gift that he gives to you. It's just a brand new relationship that Jesus Christ gives us. And the way that it works is that when Jesus was on the cross, he suffered and died as the innocent one. As, even though he was the innocent one, he suffered and died as if he was guilty, even though we're the guilty ones. And when he suffered and died as the guilty one, he was dying in our place. He's being treated like we deserve to be treated. So that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, we'll actually receive his forgiveness and get a new relationship with God. That, that's what it means to have a new position, a new relationship with God. And the key is faith. Paul writes to the Ephesians that they have to believe in Jesus in order to get this new relationship with him. And then he writes, and I really like this, that there's an effect to this new relationship with one another. So we're in a new relationship with God. We're in a new position with God. And that actually puts us in a new position with God's family, with other people. And so, so the effect of Jesus dying and rising for us is that we get a new community of people that we're a part of. New people that we wouldn't have known or loved or necessarily had a relationship with, we get to have that because of what Jesus did for us. And this is really important 
Because we all know that sin, it doesn't only separate us from God. It separates us from one another too. And we can all see this in the world. Right now we see people groups who don't like other people groups. We see tension and discord between different people groups. And we also sense it in our own lives. How many of us have broken relationships with people? How many of us have fractured relationships that we wish weren't broken? And this is the effect of sin. And the beautiful thing is that when Jesus puts us into a relationship with God the Father, we're adopted into his family together, and that actually makes us all brothers and sisters. And so we have this beautiful new family that God creates. And it can be, you can be family with someone totally different from you now, who doesn't have the same blood as you, who doesn't look the same as you, who doesn't come from the same place as you, who doesn't talk like you, who doesn't think like you. If you have this common denominator of, we've both been saved by Jesus. Now you can be in this new family and it's a new position and it's not a relationship you earned either. It's a new gift that Jesus gave us. And in the letter to the Ephesians, the specific example that Paul is addressing is the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. So the Jewish people was a nation that before Jesus came, God had a special relationship with. And their job was to serve all the other nations around them and bring them into that special relationship too. But instead, they divided themselves from the other nations, and they treated themselves like special, like they were special and the other nations weren't. And that was happening in the Ephesian church. There's some Jewish believers, and there's some Gentile believers, and they weren't getting along. They were treating each other like one of them was special and the other person wasn't. And Paul writes, what are you doing? You've both been saved by Jesus. There's no special nation anymore. I came to rescue people from every nation. And so he calls it a wall of hostility. This wall of hostility that's between you, Jesus actually ripped that down. And so now you're in the same family together, and you need to live like it. And so the new position that we're in leads to a new community. And it's all grace. And it's all ours because of the gift that God gave us. And today, the same principle can play out in our church. There are so many different kinds of people who live within a mile of this church. And there are so many differences between me and so many of them. But at the end of the day, if the way I'm saved, if the way I'm put into a right relationship with God is the exact same way someone else is put into a right relationship with God, I can't be prideful. There's no, there's no reason I can't love this person. I can't surrender my preferences to serve this person. The gospel truly frees us up to have a new community that no one else can have. Because at the end of the day, everyone else is working towards an identity. Everyone has to work towards an identity. And, and Jesus gives us a new identity, and that gives us freedom to love and serve other people. So that's the first half of the letter. That's what he writes. He says, I give you a new position with my father, and I give you a new position with your new family. And then in the second half of the letter, 
he writes about our new practice in Christ. First half of the letter is new position in Christ. Second half of the letter is new practice in Christ. And this is where people so often get it wrong. Because they think, man, if I'm just rescued as a gift, and it's a gift that I didn't earn, and even if I was as bad as anyone who's ever lived, I can just be forgiven if I trust in Jesus. Well, then it doesn't matter how I live, right? I can just do whatever I want because Jesus just forgives me and it doesn't matter what I do. And if we study this letter carefully, we'll see that the book of Ephesians says the exact opposite thing is true. The new identities we receive are actually what we live out of. They're the foundation of a new way of living and loving each other. So we don't use this freedom to mistreat other people. We use this freedom to love other people. And actually, these new identities, it's actually the power we have to love each other. We actually need this forgiveness from Jesus before we have the power to love other people. And so these, those two things are not disconnected at all. They flow together. What Paul is essentially calling people to do is just to be what you are. So that's what, I, that's what I'm getting at when I'm saying we need to be what we are. Is Jesus died to give us a new identity. And instead of striving to try to be someone who's pleasing to him, he's already declared that we're a new people. And we just get to live in freedom, becoming what we already are. And, and Paul talks for three chapters just describing this beautiful new community that the gospel creates. He, he talks about what it would look like if a group of people actually loved one another like Jesus. He talks about what it would look like in the church. He talks about what it would look like in moral purity. He talks about what it would look like in family life for husbands and wives, for parents and children. He talks about what it would look like in our work relationships and even spiritual warfare. And so what he does is he establishes our new identities that we live out of and then says, describes this beautiful picture. This is what it should look like. This is what I want you to be. And I'm not calling, to do, calling you to do anything that you haven't received the power from God to do. And so I'm very excited to walk through this letter with you guys. I'm very excited to go through it verse by verse and see how Paul gets his people to this point, how, Paul, how God wants to grow us to this point. Quite frankly, I'm really excited to see people's lives change in this room. To see your guys' lives change week to week as we hear this truth together and as we live it out by his power. And like I said before, our, our mission statement as a church to, to make disciples is going to be a tough mission statement. And, we're, and quite frankly, we're not there yet. We're not, we're not what we want to be yet. But we know that we can become that week by week if we put ourselves under God's word, listen to his voice, and obey exactly what he said. And so now we have the privilege of hearing this letter read to us. So Travis, I want to invite you up here. And um, yeah, so one, one reader is going to come up and read each chapter of this book. And so please just quiet your hearts and pay attention and just hear this beautiful letter that God has written to his people. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, the dis of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raises us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, 
Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to all the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and the deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you 
along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is coveted, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and, and what I am doing, Tychicus, sorry, <laughs> the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may also know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to our brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this letter from start to finish and for the beautiful things about you that it teaches us. Thank you for the good news of Jesus, that you sent him to save us, and thank you for the family that his love creates among us. I just ask that we as a church would live like that. And Lord, um, I also ask that um, you please meet every person who's here today with exactly the need that they have, and that they would feel your presence and would feel help from you. And that we as a church would be loving to everyone who comes in, Lord. And please, God, now I just ask that um, as our lives change, as we hear this book, would it not just be here in church on Sunday mornings, but all of our lives, Lord, would please reflect you, would please show you to the world. And God, we just, we don't love the words themselves. We don't love the book. We love the person the book is about.
And so, Lord, we just ask that at the end of the day, all of our desires and all of our worship and all of our hope would be in you. And that, Lord, you'd feel so close to us. So I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.